So this is going to be our second week in Advent. And just to revisit, Advent is very easily explained as the arrival of Jesus. When Jesus came onto the scene. Last week we talked about in Genesis 3.15, after the fall, God created man to be in perfect relationship, man and woman to be in perfect relationship with God, and that was broken through sin. In Genesis 3.15, we see the proclamation that there will be a Messiah who will come and crush the head of Satan and bring restoration between God and man, which is and should be the closest bond in all of the cosmos, besides the bond between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He said that Satan will not have victory, sin will not have victory, death will be defeated, and I will send one to save you and reconcile God and man. So from that time on, the people of God through each generation were waiting for a Messiah to save them. They kept thinking that maybe this Messiah had come. Maybe it was one of the judges. Maybe it was Samson. Maybe it was Gideon. Maybe it was all those men, Jethro. Is there a Jethro? I might have made that up. There's a J-E-T-H and it goes somewhere from there. Maybe Jephrath. They were waiting for these men, a man, a person, a king, a savior to come and save them. What happened is one after the other, these men kept failing. And everyone kept saying, this can't be the Messiah. There, were not only that one, there was not only that one prophecy in Genesis 3.15. The whole, the whole Old Testament is pref- prophecies filled, peppered all throughout it. A telling of one who will come who will save God's people and ultimately save the world. Today, I really want us to visit those prophecies to have our faith built. To really look at the evidence and say, why do I believe that Jesus Christ is that Messiah? Why do you believe that? Why do we have such faith? Why do we sing with all our voices? Why do we give? Why do we lay down? Why do we serve? Why are we part of the church? Why do we believe Jesus is the one? Today I believe your faith is going to be built tremendously when it comes to understanding why we believe Jesus is who he says he is. Will you turn with me to Psalm 22? I want to start right out the gates with some scripture. And I want you to listen in Psalm 22. So important for building your faith here. This was written roughly a thousand years before Jesus even was born into human history. It was written by King David and is prophetic. And the Holy Spirit carried David along to write these words roughly a thousand years before Jesus even was born into human history. The first verse should catch you right away. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. 
They make mulse at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breast. And you was I cast from my birth. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. I love that line, may your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Yes, I've read a whole chapter. We are not playing around. When I first got saved, when I was 19 years old, I just believed in Jesus. So I, I had been to church a few Sunday schools, taken a few years off, been back. But my, my parents had taught me about Jesus. I knew people on Easter went to worship Jesus. I knew Christmas was about Jesus. I knew all these things. But I just heard the message of God, the gospel in a very simple way that Jesus died for my sins and I believed it. What happens after you start following Jesus and you look at the scriptures is your faith starts getting built. So I saw Psalm 22 when I was 19 years old and I was basically, how does anyone not believe? Like how do you read Psalm 22 and hear David crying out in prayer, they pierced his hands and feet, they cast lots for his garment, he was with the dead but he was raised, he, they were mocking him and yelling. I'm like, this has built my faith so much, how do you see these scriptures and not believe? I, they're starting to become substance to my faith. And that's what I want to happen to you today. Many people that would think that Christianity is filled with people that have to believe in something, so they believe in some mythical fairy tale that helps them get through, through life. And that's what religion is all about. What I want you to tell you today is every person who follows Jesus should be concrete and stable and understand that our faith, 
Our life, our religion is built on concrete evidence. Amen? I believe in history. I believe in the history of humanity. I believe in the fall. I believe in creation. I believe in the rival of the Messiah. I believe he lived a perfect life. I believe he died an atoning death. I believe he rose again, conquering Satan, sin, and death. These are all feel empowered by. That's why it says God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. What makes the man of God complete? The word of God. Not that, oh, I'm feeling good today. I'm feeling concrete in my faith. Oh, man, circumstance was bad. I don't know if I believe anymore. What keeps you concrete is that I look at the word of God written by the power of the Holy Spirit as he carried men along, and I say, I have a sound mind because Jesus is who he says he is. He's the king of all kings. I can trust in this. I can make it through any storm. I can make it through anything because I've been found in Christ. Amen? So today, I want us to really think about these prophecies, and I want us to really hear the scriptures. We're going to ask, what is prophecy and why? Talk to us. We can't run through every messianic prophecy, but I want to give you a rough overview so your faith is built. And I want you to realize how this fuels and solidifies your faith and puts you in your right place in the world. You know, in Western culture, we are very selfish. We're very into ourselves. Even a lot of our sayings have become about ourselves. Believe in yourself. That's a very secular view. That's a, a secular saying to believe in yourself. What has given you so much faith in yourself that you believe in yourself? My life, I look at it and say, man, I can't believe in myself. There's something wrong with me. Right? Look for the strength within. What? You don't have... <laughs> there's no... You, there's no, like, this saying's out there. People are afraid because if they really realize how powerful they are, they would shake the world. That's foolishness. That's stupid. It might sell a movie, but it makes no sense because it's not true. You don't look inside yourself. You look above yourself to the king of kings to give you strength. Amen? And it goes on and on. People are selling you stuff that is secular, that is ba- it's not gospel-centered. And I don't want to knock anyone who needed a positive saying to make it through the day. There's some positive things that really help. Sometimes you just need to hear, like, you can do it. Like, really. They don't need, people don't need to get hyper-spiritual. Like, let me go to Hebrews 6.3. I'm going to change your life. You just need, like, you can do it. Get up. You can make it. I love you. You're of value. You're special. God cares for you. That's all positive stuff to energize yourself. But I don't want you to put faith in something that's going to leave you at the end of yourself. If you put faith in yourself for the rest of your life, you are making yourself the object of worship and you will fall short. But if you put your faith in Jesus, if you find your right place in the story, your right place in the cosmos, that's my word of the day. If you find your right place in all of things, You will find peace, you will endure, you will be satisfied, you will be rewarded in heaven because you will live your life according to the right purpose. So what is prophecy and why? I'll read this definition to you. Prophecy is very simply defined as a prediction prediction of future events, persons, or revelation of God's plan or purpose. Since God is the author of all human history, he has written a story to be told And the main character and hero is his son, Jesus. Okay. What Western culture, what secular culture tries to sell you is that you're the center of the story. That the only way that you can enjoy life is you become everything you want to be. Follow your dreams. And you get to the place, the apex, where you are the man or the woman that is glorified above all creation. Right? 
Let me tell you, that's not the way we've been written in the story. We are the ones who need to be saved. Like when actors go out for a pot, let me tell you, if I was an actor, I'm going out for a pot, I want to be the hero. You understand? I'm going to save you. I got the beard, I can do it. Right? I'm not going for like, if I'm going out for the pot of Braveheart, I don't want to be Robert the Bruce. I can't stand Robert the Bruce. When they tore that helmet off and Braveheart cried, no one wants that part. Oh, the worst one I've ever seen. I don't know if you guys remember this. When Orlando Bloom gave up his man card and became Paris and Troy. Did that mess up Orlando Bloom for anybody? Like he was legless. He was busting people out. He was, even the pirate movie, he was semi-masculine. They put him in that role of Paris. He was done in my book. Any man that goes out there, doesn't fight for his woman, his brother has to lay down his life for him. No one wants to play that role, right? Who wants to be that person in every superhero movie that's falling off the building? If you're in a superhero movie, don't go to the top of the building. You know what's going to happen, right? We don't want to be the one who needs the saving. We don't want to be the one who needs to call out for a savior. But let me tell you this. We are written into human history, all of history, as the ones who need to be saved. You know what heaven's going to look like? A bunch of redeemed, broken people crying out to Jesus for saving them. Amen? You have to first understand, when it comes to prophecy, that God has written his son as the main character and hero. So all the prophecies are going to line up with that. They're going to line up with that. Because that's the purpose of all things. If you read in Ephesians 1.10, it says, As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's the plan of all existence. Is that all things, every single thing, all the heavens and the earth, every generation, all of history, all of future history is united in Jesus Christ and he is lifted up as the name above all names as the Messiah. And we talk about in culture. If you look close enough in culture, everyone's looking for a Messiah. And just to review, Tom Brady is a functioning Messiah for a lot of people. Enjoy football, cheer. But he's a functioning Messiah. Next day, everyone's in the streets like, he's the goat kid. He's the goat. Everyone's like, man, you need a Messiah that bad? Anyone saw the Larry Bird reels? People are like crying. You see that fall away? People need a Messiah. We need a Savior because it's woven into our being to look to someone to save us, and we do it in all different types of arenas. You just do it natural when you like it or not. You look to a Savior to cheer for. All of eternity is made to cheer for Jesus, and it's never going to get old. That's why we'll never get old on Sunday. When we get up here, I'm still fired up. Because Jesus is still the king. He not only saved us, he's still saving us every single day. So to understand prophecy, you've got to understand first, why are these prophecies coming? Because God is writing his son as the hero. He's predicting way ahead of time, so we get ready to cheer. We get ready to see. We get ready to exalt. But God's prophecy, you have to understand God's sovereignty to understand prophecy. So we don't become open theists. So open theism believes that our choices have way more weight than they, ha- they do. Like literally, this is another secular thing. You control your destiny. No, you don't. God controls destiny and you walk in his story. 
right? That's a serious flip of the mind there. doesn't mean your choices don't matter, but our choices don't matter to the point where they shape human history in a way where Jesus will not be glorified as the Almighty. So, for example, Dan Dehan gives this great definition. The sovereignty of God has to do with both his will and his power. The sovereign will of God is the exercise of God's supremacy in the total course of human events. I want you to understand this. So when we talk about Genesis 3.15, and it said, there's one who will come who will crush the head of Satan and reconcile God and man. Now, if you're open theist, you'll say, the only way that's going to happen is that everyone makes the right decisions, is real positive, and does good. Right? But if you understand the sovereignty of God and prophecy, you realize nothing is gonna, was going to stop Jesus from becoming the Messiah and dying for the sins of the world and rising again. It wasn't like, listen, guys, someone's going to come to crush the head of Satan, but I need about 22 guys through 22 generations to make the right decisions for it to happen. No, it's like, I don't care what you guys do down here. I know what you're going to do. You're messed up. I am going to move human history in the course of every event so it's going to be revelly perfectly so the Messiah will be born into Bethlehem. He will live sinless. He will conquer death. He will rise again and one day return. Amen? See, it wasn't by accident that Jesus went to the cross. It was like, whoops, I thought everyone was going to accept me. Why are they so mad? No, he came to die. And the only way you can understand that is you understand the sovereignty of God. If you understand the sovereignty of God, you understand prophecy and the supremacy of God, that he moves every human event along to make Jesus known and writes Jesus into our stories. Has anyone ever noticed, no matter what you do, Jesus keeps picking you up? Has anyone noticed that? Have you been out there making good decisions all your life? I know you. I'm your pastor. Don't lie. No. Know what I hear most of the time? I messed up again. There I go again. Man, I just can't get it right. But you know what Jesus has decided? He's decided to pick you up and throw you into his story. And nothing's going to stop you from glorifying Jesus because he's decided to write you in as someone who's saved, someone who's redeemed, as a child of God to glorify the name of Jesus. Amen? We need to understand that with prophecy because they're peppered all through the Old Testament. So when God prophesies that the Messiah will be like this, do this, and accomplish this, it's not guesswork, but an internal proclamation that it will 100% be fulfilled. So I want to read to you some of these prophecies through the Old Testament. I'm going to read a rough summary. This is from a website where they gave like what they thought were the top 40 prophecies, like the billboard. They did it like a radio station, but we'll roll with it. And listen to these. It says, the Messiah would be born of a woman. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Now remember, all these prophecies are some thousands of years before Jesus was here, some hundreds of years getting the stage ready for Jesus to arise, arrive. The Messiah would be born of a virgin. The Messiah would come from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Messiah would come from the line of Judah. The Messiah would be an heir to, the king, to King David's throne. The Messiah's throne would be anointed and eternal. The Messiah would be called Emmanuel. Messiah would spend a season in Egypt. A massacre of children would happen at the Messiah's birthplace. A messenger would prepare the way for the Messiah. The Messiah would be rejected by his own people. Messiah would be a prophet. Messiah would be declared the son of God. Messiah would be called Nazarene. Messiah would speak in parables. Messiah would be sent to heal the brokenhearted. Messiah would be called king. Messiah would be betrayed. Messiah would be falsely accused. Messiah would be spat upon and strunk. 
struck. Messiah would be hated without a cause. Messiah would be crucified with criminals. Messiah would be given vinegar to drink. Messiah's feet and hands would be pierced. Messiah would be mocked and ridiculed. Soldiers would gamble for the Messiah's garment. Messiah's bones would be broken. Messiah would pray for his enemies. Soldiers would pierce the Messiah's side. Messiah would be buried with the rich. Messiah would resurrect from the dead. Messiah would ascend to heaven. Messiah would be seated at the right hand of God the Father. And Messiah would be the sacrifice for sin. Jesus fulfilled every one of these prophecies to the fullest. Is that awesome? I felt like I was rapping. Was I flowing? (laughs) I want to give you an idea of what it would take for Jesus to fulfill all those prophecies when it comes to odds. Now, a guy did this book. It was a very helpful book. He broke it down just for Jesus to fill eight of the prophecies that were just said the chances of that happening in human history. Let me start with some regular odds so we can get a feel for some stuff. The odds of you getting hit by lightning are 1 in 250 million. Who's afraid of getting hit by lightning in here? I will run in the raid with, with a metal rod. I just don't feel like I'm going to hit by lightning. I said, the odds, come on now. Someone's out there like I am. Now, here's the one that shakes my soul. The odds of getting eaten by a shark are one in 3,748,067. In my mind, it's one in five. Every time I swim, I think there's a shark underneath me. I need to work through this. But the odds, I look at the odds and say, my whole swimming life, my whole beach life is ruined, and like 10 people get bitten a year out of 7 billion, and I can't work through it. But I want you to hear, those odds are pretty far. Now, here's so you don't waste your money and you give to the church. The odds of you hitting the lottery are a hundred million. Stop it. You're not going to hit the lottery. You're not going to hit the lottery. And the person who hits it, they're not even happy. You ever read the stories after they hit it? They messes up their life. One dude in Cambridge hit it where I grew up, and he, he gave the money back. He says, I want nothing to do with this. It ruined me. And you, then you've got that guy who plays it. it just, let me just do a sidetrack a little bit. Just in case I have to minister to someone. That dude who plays for eight months straight loses his money every day. Then he hits for 500. He's like, you see how I do? 500. Yeah, you just spent $1,500 over the past seven, eight months. Do you not see why the lottery is such a lucrative business? I mean, play the lottery the glory of Jesus if you really feel it. I'm, I'm not want to get legalistic. I'm just telling the odds. Okay, let me give you a better way to comprehend the chances of Jesus fulfilling everyone. Just eight prophecies in the Old Testament. It is one in a hundred quadrillion. Okay, that's a hundred with 15 zeros behind it. Let me give you a story that I read in the book that will help you understand this better. The chances of Jesus fulfilling all these prophecies to perfection is like us filling Texas with silver coins Texas is big, man. It's like another country. It's a weird place. Filling it with silver coins every edge of Texas. Taking one coin, marking it specifically, and throwing it in Texas. Grabbing a blind man, sending him into Texas, and on his first try, he's got to get the right coin. That's the chances of Jesus fulfilling every one of those prophecies. I want you to hear that to build your faith. When you hear that, you say, there is no way 
that Jesus isn't Lord. There is every way that Jesus is Lord. This tells me that God in his sovereignty and his purpose before the foundation of the earth, before he created us, declared an eternal decree that he would send Jesus to fulfill these prophecies to be the Messiah. You should be absolutely rejoicing right now because you have found the right road to salvation. Amen? I mean, if they want to work science, let's go for it. Right? Jesus is Lord, man. Sometimes, for me, I didn't like take a penny and throw it in a well like, I hope Jesus is God. I think he is. I looked at the evidence. I looked at human history. I looked at science. I looked at anthropology. I looked at everything that happened. And I said, there's no way that Jesus isn't Lord. And there's every way that Jesus is Lord. I said, there has to be a God with all the evidence. It has to be. And Jesus has to be his son. That's what this should do to us. It should build our faith in dramatic, dramatic ways. These messianic prophecies. So ever since I got saved, just to share how prophecy builds your faith, <clears throat> and this is so many tears down from Scripture, when I got saved, I started to have prophetic dreams occasionally that came true. And I share with people I loved and be like, listen, this is bugging me out a little bit, <laughs> but I'm having prophetic dreams that are coming true. And I'll give you four example. We were looking to buy our first house. I was 26 years old. I have no idea what to do with buying houses. You know, I just don't, didn't know what to do. I had a dream, just not even look for it. I was in a house and I saw vividly everything in the, this house. And I was like, oh, so what's that? The next Sunday, me and Natalie decided to go open house. When I walked in there, everything looked the exact same as my dream. So to me, that was prophetic, and it was God saying, this is your house. This 948 square foot of wonders is your home. Um, God's given me prophetic dreams in certain relationships to let them, me know that it was time to end them. Um, God's given me prophetic dreams with people leaving the church months before they left, and so when they come and sit down with me, I'm like, all right, let's do this. God's given me dreams of when the church is going to grow and when the church is going to decline because he's shown me that his hand is in all of it. And, and so that's just me. I'm not saying that's everyone, but that is something God's done with me. Way tears below the scripture. So I'm just saying in my personal life. Um, the most dramatic was one was when I was 27 years old and I wanted to go full-time in ministry and I was trying to figure out what God was doing. And I had a dream that when I was 37 years old, I'd go full-time in ministry and would be meeting in this church with two other churches. That was a decade before. So I told my wife, I said, I think this could be God. She said, it's either God or you're crazy, right? You've got to have a loving wife. She's got to speak to you straight. And so I told the pastors over at the place I was pastoring to become a planning pastor for accountability and saying, guys, I think this was God getting me ready. I just went through my life. I didn't change things much. We signed a lease over at Nazareth for another three years. I was like, oh, you know, whatever. They call me in January. I'm 37 years old. <laughs> And say, we're selling this building and making it condos. And I said, here we go. I said, here we go. Where did we end up? I was full-time when I was 37. We ended up in this church. Now, I'm sharing that to say, God did that for me in my personal journey because I needed to know I was on the right road. I needed to know that his hand was with me as I was ministering and leading God's people. And it helped me not to be shaken and be stable and I was sturdy. Because I probably, to be honest, I didn't want to come here. I didn't want to come here. But I knew it was God's will, so I did it. And that was because of a prophetic dream. 
And so I share that to say that's so many tears below. When it comes to messianic prophecy, that should speak to all of us. We're on the right road. Amen? You know, people sit down with me all the time and they say, how are you so confident in Jesus? Don't you doubt? Don't you do this? And if you doubt, that's fine. People battle that in their face sometimes. But I say, man, I, I don't. I, I've, I've examined all the evidence. God has changed my heart. And what causes me one of the most confident things that Jesus is who he says he is are these messianic prophecies. Because I see the Holy Spirit working to make much of Jesus. And when people ask me what I believe, I can bring them. I believe that the Word of God is the Word of God written by the Holy Spirit. And here is the evidence. And here is how it fits into human history. And here is how it fits into each of our lives. Amen? I want you guys to feel that in your own life. That Jesus is the meaning of it all. He is the reason for it all. And he is the savior of it all. And getting full circle and some final thoughts. It is a beautiful thing when you realize that Jesus is the king and you're not. It is a wonderful thing when you realize that Jesus is the center of all things and you're not. I can't tell you how many people I minister to are suffering because they have a, a myopic view of life and themselves. They are so infatuated with their own emotions and so infatuated with their own life that they are trapped in the cage of selfishness that they can't even get out of it to rejoice in the king. You will be miserable if you become absorbed and infatuated with yourself because you're not meant to be absorbed and infatuated with yourself. You'll be miserable. We all know how it is to live vain. Amen? Listen, I used to, in high school, I wouldn't go take all the trash if my hair wasn't perfect. There was something wrong. There's still something wrong with me. I'm shaking it. I'm getting older. Things are changing. But it is miserable to be absorbed with yourself. It is freeing. It is liberating. It is empowering when you realize this is all about Jesus. My life's going to be about Jesus. I'm going to live for the glory of his name. I'm going to lift him up. I'm going to be weak. He's going to be strong. I'm going to be helpless. He's going to be the Savior. I'm going to live for that. You will be free when you realize that. And the prophecies do that for us. Jesus does that for us. And all things were created for him because he is the Messiah. Amen? Let's pray.